Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, it's Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer. It's a cracker. We have a wonderful chat, and uh, you're going to get to hear it in a sec. But before we do, just a few thank yous. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. And what I should say as well is, once you've finished uh, this episode, um, go and have a look in the archives. Because uh, if you enjoy the kind of podcast and the format and and the questions and such, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna love the other episodes. And there's there's over two hundred now. And you can hear me chatting to a completely diverse bunch of people from from actors like Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, through to comedians such as James Acaster, Ed Gamble, through to musicians such as Chuck D, the Deftones, James Lavelle, Sheik, Suede. Oh blimey, there's loads. Go and have a, a rummage in the archives because um, I'm sure you'll find some delightful chats to be enjoyed. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, I have an accompanying Patreon page. And on there, I put up four radio shows each week where I play records and chat. And also put up video episodes as well and exclusive episodes with guests. So there's loads of stuff you can get over there from as little as about 79p a week. And, and it really does, you know, go in the pot to help you know, produce this podcast, which is a, a labour of love. Um, and you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. That's beat and not beaten. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. We are recording. Sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom is Mr. B, the gentleman Rhymer. Hello. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, how's, uh, how's life with you? It's not so bad. You know, I'm one of these people that I keep feeling slightly bad about admitting that I'm quite enjoying uh, lockdown and not really having, not having any social pressure to do anything or go out or anything like that. Just sitting around in the... Smoking jacket, I like to say. Officially, I say smoking jacket when everyone really knows it's pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how have you found this year as, as you know, as both, you know, just a, a straight-up human being uh, and a creative? It's, well, obviously, it's been weird, that's for sure. There's no denying that. It's and It's been up and down. I have missed, you know, going out and playing live, because also because that's, that's my bread and butter. That's where I earn my living. So, but at the same time, it's kind of been interesting because... I've had a chance to try, well, starting a Patreon page and just trying other things and, you know, having to, it's, it's sort of reminded me of the old, the pre Mr. B days. I was a musician, but I was very much more having to hustle and, and, you know, find, you know, not knowing if I was going to make any money from one month to the next. Whereas in Mr. with Mr. B, I kind of found myself, you know, I had all my gigs laid out in front of me for the next six months or what have you. And, yeah, I felt it was just getting a little bit too cosy, perhaps. So, in a way, it's been a nice little kick up the backside. But, yeah, obviously it's been weird. And, it's you know, it would be nice to get down the pub sometimes and what have you. And play shows. I do miss playing shows. But at the same time, I don't necessarily miss, you know, getting up from in Brighton of a Friday morning and driving to Morecambe and then driving to Norwich and then driving to Torquay or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Do you get that, you know, do you get excited at the kind of, 
that 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 kind of pang of maybe anxiety of like right hang on i'm not going to be gigging for for six months he said you started the the patreon and you you mentioned back to you know as as a jobby musician back you know pre uh mr b like do you like that kind of like it's almost like that kind of punk thing of like right okay i haven't got too much at my disposal here what can i do with with what's available now do you does that excite you and you know in any way shape or form Oh, it definitely does. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, obviously it's very nice. You know, I'm very lucky that I was, you know, I'm someone that can make money out of making music and make a living out of making music, which is, which is an amazing thing. And, you know, I never discount the fact that I'm very lucky to do that. But at the same time, now this has happened. It is, yeah, it's creatively very exciting because I'm suddenly thinking, right, I'll do, I've started doing some lino prints and, you know, been writing to just finish off the second chap hop songbook. And yeah, just suddenly thinking, right, I need some other, you know, for want of a better phrase, you know, revenue streams and what have sure. you. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. That's the thing. It's been interesting. It's obviously you feel bad because a lot of people have suffered a lot with all this. And obviously, you know, and very early on, all, you know, all the rest of my family caught the Rona, even my dad, who's like 81 now. And uh, so that was a very scary, you know, couple few weeks there we were thinking right what's going on he was living with my mum and my older sister and thinking right okay so you know yeah it was all a bit of a worry but that gladly he's okay now um but yeah outside of that it's it's been interesting it's been kind of nice to just be at home and and work on stuff yeah well let's talk records and um, uh for track one i'm gonna ask you the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please the greatest ever intro. Um, I mean, there's so many of these. There's actually, um, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know there's a guy called Ozzy Mizo who was around? He was almost a kind of a, what do you call it? Plunderphonics sort of guy who used to take lots of stuff. There's a brilliant thing. I'll send it over to you called Intro Introspection. I think it's called, and it's basically like a 10 minute track, and it's all intros from various pop songs. It's absolutely like mashed together. It's wow. absolutely brilliant. I'll send it to you. Okay. Lovely. But uh, I think out of the, I mean, for me, I'm an enormous Prince fan and I don't think you can, I say intro and probably outro, the greatest was probably Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Yeah. Just that intro is so kind of bombastic and like dearly beloved and, you know, you know, a sermon. And then finishing with that ludicrous rock and roll ending that never seems to end. You keep thinking, oh, it's going to finish now. It's like, no. Don't you think he's finishing now? No, he's not finishing now. He's still going to go for a bit. I mean, to, to touch on how, how you, you know, have approached making music over the years, and that track is a prime example uh, to, to kind of stress, to, to sort of back up my question, really. And if that got, because that was a single, Let's Go Crazy, and... Would yeah. you know the, the way that that song is structured now? I doubt that would even in this day and age get mainstream radio play. You know, the fact that that intro is so long and that outro is so long, <clears throat> yeah. And so, my, my, my question is, um, from the early days of sort of collapse lung and stuff like that, how have you approached making music? And as the way that people now listen to music through streaming and it all being very fast paced and disposable. Has that impacted on you and your approach to, to writing songs? And I guess, you know, intro as well. I, get, uh, I suppose it's, to be honest with you, I think I've almost the songwriting and things like that has pretty much stayed, you know, whatever. I don't necessarily have a method of doing it, but I don't think it's changed in any way as far as I've never considered, oh, this will be streamed. I need to get straight into a chorus or something like that. But um, and I'm still quite old school. I still like you know I'll I'll tend to write an album, so I'll and I like to have a good intro track on an album. I think the one I did um, was it an album, a couple of albums ago, three albums ago. I had one called uh, "There's a Rumpus Going On" the album, and that's from whatever it was, 2016. And the intro to that was just called "There's an Intro Going On," and it's one of those old, you know, almost things you get from the 70s and 80s, which would be you know something building up. And uh, there's lots of samples of uh, various politicians arguing with each other, all like echoey and what have you. And yeah, just the whole thing's a build up to su- to suggest this is what's about to happen and yeah. like that sort of thing. Like kind of, well, things like, uh, was it the, 
the intro to Welcome to the Pleasure Dome on the Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Welcome yeah. to Pleasure Dome. It's like 10 minutes long or something yeah. like that. And it's just some jungle noises and occasional bits. I kind of really like that. Not really knowing where you're heading, but being sort of slowly like yeah. taken into a room and acclimatising yourself to it. It's really weird that you mention them kind of, sort of jungle noises. Like last night, I was just literally just randomly had a, a playlist on. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Talk Talk track, Such a Shame. And yes. And I just thought, what am I listening to? And the intro to that is just all random animal noises and such for about three minutes before the song actually kind of gets going. And I think that kind of goes back to the, the, the Prince thing because the intro is nothing like the song. The outro is yeah, nothing like true. the song. It just tops and tails this absolute pop gem in the middle of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And in regards to Prince, was Prince like a, a, you know, did that have a big impact on your Prince growing up? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very much so. And I'd also, you know, just going further into it as well, it's just the way that he, I kind of, I really loved the fact, even when, you know, whenever I was 13 or 14 or what have you, the fact that he never did interviews and he was just this mysterious, I love this sort of mystery, which you don't really get now with pop stars because everyone's on Twitter and everyone's on Instagram. So I think, you know, audiences now just, you know, demand to see, everything going on like backstage as it were you know behind the curtain whereas Prince was never like that he would just I mean I did a track a while ago that used uh, one of his interviews from the 80s but it was a really really big deal it was on MTV and they were saying you know this is the only interview Prince is ever going to give and he was sort of sat there surrounded by people that were in this video he was making and he was just sort of sat there like this kind of slightly godlike figure sitting in the middle of it talking really quietly about oh I don't consider myself a superstar but yes. <laughs> I just like the fact that he had that kind of weird persona that you didn't really know what he was like. And that's what you want from your pop stars, isn't it? I think, like, especially more so now than ever, because back then, you know, questionably, you know, he's done some questionable stuff of, of recent times, but that was the thing that drew me to Morrissey in the in the, in the the 80s. It was just like, I don't know anything about this guy. Like, who is he? Like, what, what, what's his story? And it was like, he had that, he wasn't the pop star that, you know, you'd see you know, that talk about what he had for dinner. It was, it was yeah. just a different kind of sort of, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, otherworldly. Like, like, yeah, know. he was different from, he, that's what made, you know, these makes these people a star. They're different from other people. And yeah. that's the thing, like, yeah, with Prince, I mean, there's, was it the Chris Morris on, on uh, Adam Buxton's podcast sort of said yeah. it quite well. And he said, the thing about Prince was, it was almost, if you saw it when he saw Prince live, he was like so ludicrously talented and different that he said he said it kind of it made all the other musicians you'd ever seen look like they were just being a bit silly. <laughs> and it always felt like that with me. It's what it felt like, you know, there's pop stars and these things like that, and then there's Prince who's just doing this thing sort of floating around above everyone else yeah. in, a, in a kind of non slightly inhuman way. Not inhuman, but non, like a non human way. Yeah. It was like a different different thing. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Track two, B, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Okay. 
Now, this one, I mean, to be honest with you, it's not, it's not really, I don't know, I guess when I heard this one, I guess I was seven, because I was seven when Elvis died, uh, which sadly is giving away my age, but um, I've, I've, I've said it's uh, Danny Mirrors, I remember Elvis Presley, and it's, which is a total cheese fest, it's just this Dutch guy, I think he is, who's sort of singing this song in a very Elvisy way about how he loved to hear Elvis sing and what have you, but I guess when you're seven, there is, as far as music goes, generally speaking, it's just jolly. Uh, you've just gone from nursery rhymes into sort of bits of pop music. So I don't think there was anything before that that you actually made you think, oh, this is... So they have sad music as well, do they, about sad stuff? Can you remember the emotion that you got from it? Um, well, I remember that was the thing. Like, Elvis Dime was the first of those moments, like, you know, like whatever, JFK's assassination or 9-11, that you kind of really remember it being a really, really big deal because he was, you know, as far as we knew, was like the king and everything. And I remember it being on the news and thinking, this is a big thing. And um, I guess it was more about that, really, but about remembering that moment that something had happened that actually had an impact on you and you thought, wow, this is, this is actually an event. Yeah. Where, where, where was that? Where, where, was you, where was you born? Where was you living then? I was, uh, I was born in Cheam in the borough of Sutton in sort of South London, north part of Surrey. And, um, yeah, I remember it just being on the telly and just seeing his picture in the corner of the news broadcast. And, yeah, and just we, I think I just started getting into Elvis a bit because my parents had a load of Elvis records. And I did say to someone, I, it was the first time I had a proper connection with music in a physical way as well because we had one of those little dance set record players and above that was the shelves where we had all the records in. I remember sort of, you know, kneeling down by the dance set and reaching out to grab, uh, was it Elvis's 50 Golden Greats or whatever it was? Yeah. Pulled it out and the thing wasn't in the sleeve properly, so the vinyl actually just came straight down off the shelf and just thumped me straight in the forehead. <laughs> so I had this massive bump on my head with a, a valley in the middle of it where the vinyl had gone. And, uh, so, yeah, that was very much my first connection with that. Amazing. Elvis literally made a dent. He made a dent in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been slightly obsessed with him ever since. So I was thinking, so I'd, I had uh, well, a big birthday this year, and uh, my wife was, well, originally, my wife was going to take me to Graceland as a, as a treat, but obviously we can't, can't be doing that at the moment. But there you go. At some point, I will get there. What's your favourite Elvis song? Oh, that's a tricky one. In a way, I... Th- oh. It depends what mood you're in, I guess. But I do love That's All Right, Mama, because it's the first, you know. Yeah. Because in a way, it's the song that invented the second half of the 20th century, really. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that thing, whether or not, you know, he culturally appropriated it or whatever you'd say, he was just, you know, he was just playing blues music and country music and mixing them up and making them go, go a bit... I think the whole thing was a bit of a joke at the start because it was an outtake, wasn't it? Originally, I think, he just started to say, let's play it really fast. Mm. And they did, and someone said, well, we should actually record that. And then... Yes, here we are, rock and roll, and here we are. Are you are you, you, you damn with Fat Elvis as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, I liked a bit of Fat Elvis. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as him being, you know, those shows he did, it was a shame he was never able to tour with it and what have you. Well, obviously, he toured America, but it seemed to me that I think it was something about Colonel Tom Parker didn't have, was actually an illegal immigrant, so didn't have a passport, so that's why he never let Elvis go abroad. Is that apparently. true? Apparently so. Wow, that's, I did not know that. Whether it's actually true or, or just sort of, you know, apocryphal tale. Yeah, it's a good one if it is. It is a pretty good one, yeah. And that's why I didn't like him going abroad, because he would have been found out. See, I, I, I love, like, um, I've got this book called Elvis 56, and it's just a series of photographs of, of, of Elvis just, without a shadow of a doubt, being the coolest, most beautiful man on the planet at that point. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And then you kind of got the 68 comeback... Where, yeah, that was magic. Oh, fuck me. Like, that is yeah. so slick on that. And, that uh, is incredible. It's one of those things that, you know, he'd just become, just doing all those films, he'd become this sort of cheesy entertainer. And yeah. then the, the 68 comeback was just, it was like, oh, that's how you do it. We've been forgetting all these yeah. years. It'd be interesting to see what the world, you know, the world, the world in general would have been like if Elvis had just carried on making music rather than making terrible films. Yeah, yeah. For the whole of the 60s. Track three, a song that reminds you of your time at school, please. 
Well, I've sort of thought of a few of these. You can have some honourable mentions, mate. That's fine. Let's have some honourable... Okay, I'm going to give honourable mentions first. Uh, let's go rock this town with the Stray Cats. Because I, that was almost the first time I really got into a... You know, because in the early 80s, it was very tribal. You were like, you were a mod, or a casual, or a skinhead, or a rockabilly, or a punk. And it was very little. It wasn't like now when you kind of anyone can be anything. And so I, I went down the rockabilly route when I was about 11 or something. And uh, yeah, Rock This Town by the Stray Cats was definitely one of those tracks that was uh, you, a biggie. Do you think that that, that come as a, as a kind of a follow-on from the kind of early love of Elvis? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It was sort of just, a, even though it was only like four years after, I'd, after Elvis had died and yeah. all that sort of thing, um, it was definitely, yeah, I obviously had an affinity. I was thinking, oh, that's, yeah. I knew some rockabilly, this one rockabilly guy who I knew, um, he loved all sorts of rockabilly, but would only ever buy Elvis records. It was still, even with all the kind of rockabillies and psychabillies and what have you, Elvis was just the kind of, this un, again, another untouchable figure. It was like, okay, it's just all about Elvis, really. Yeah. But yeah, that was good. And what else have we got? Oh, I think, well, Together in Electric Dreams uh, by Phil Oakey and George M. Maroda, mainly from when I got to about 14, my cousin she was a couple of years older than me and so they started you know they started that kind of the classic having house parties every time everyone had a birthday and someone's parents went away and she'd let me go along to all these parties with her and uh yeah so it was when you start getting drunk on cider and snogging girls and what have you i remember there's a group of like the older blokes from my school who previously i'd always seen as a bit like oh there are some there's some lads that are a bit older than me and what have you and been a little bit scared of them to uh, all being in a great big circle, jumping up and down to, together in electric dreams. It's just like, yeah, it's a proper one of those memories you think that is, that's, yeah, a treasured memory, that one. It's a cracking I pop mean, song, though. It's, it's amazing, yeah, it's so good. Um, but yeah, talking of cracking pop songs, I guess, yeah, the one for me, personally, I think Absolute by Scritti Politti oh, is lovely. like one of the greatest pieces of music I've ever heard. It's just so, because it's got, it's, you know, his, you know, Green's sense of melody and what have you is just, in, it's just incredible. You know, he's up there with McCartney and what have you, I think, as far as melody goes. But then also, it's the production on that is just tough as hell. Yeah. It's really, it's a beautiful, he's got his sweet, saccharine voice, but then the beat is like, boom, it's just huge. And it seems to be kind of ahead of its time as far as sound goes. I, I think, I think Scritti Politti really were. You, you, and when you watch some of their performances of, you know, the, 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 uh, that era uh, of, yeah. of his work on Top of the Pops, he doesn't look like anything else that's on Top of the Pops. That's uh, true. Just, oh, what a song. Absolutely. I think I've got, that, I've yeah. got that on a picture disc somewhere. Oh, yes, there was a picture disc, wasn't it? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, the 12-inch. And the thing is, well, it's gritty. They always do various versions of it. Mm. So there's like the version you get on a cassette would be different from the version you get on a vinyl. Yeah. And then when they brought the CD out, there was different versions on there as well. So it's, yeah, he'd always muck about with them. But I know that he really hated playing live. That was, they kind of stopped. That's, That's why they right. were such a sort of studio band. He kind of got stage fright really badly. And he only came back, yeah, he started playing again, well, in the, the last album. Yeah. Obviously, he wasn't, was never prolific. I think the last album was like probably 15 years ago now, when it seems like the latest album. Yeah. He done a track that um, I was just picturing that picture disc in my collection and just thinking, right, what other Scrooge Plitty records are, are, are sort of stacked up next to that? Did you ever hear the track? Boom, there she... Yeah, there she was, yeah. With Roger Troutman. With Roger Troutman, yeah. yeah. That was from the, the album after, Provision, which he kind of really hates, but... Oh, I really? I think it's a brilliant album, yeah. Oh, get get Roger, hey, well, Roger Troutman actually... on anything's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the thing we've got. I've met him a few times now. He's, yeah. Who, Green? green? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He's a really... He's a very lovely man and quite shy and quite... You know, I, when I first met him, I said, oh, I was listening to... Because he had an album out called Anime and Bonamy in in 99 when he'd sort of he started getting you know because he left the whole thing behind and went to live in wales and then he started getting back into hip-hop and things like that and he decided to he just thought i wonder if i've still got a deal with virgin and i think he just got in touch with virgin and said have i still got a record deal and i said yeah if you want to make an album let's go for it and so he made this album anime and bonomy which i think is great but then i'm you know when i first met him i said oh i was just listening to anime and bonomy yesterday he's going oh it's terrible i hate that album i really think it's really great um, how did you find school? You know what? I think 
I was one of those kids who was, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't one of the cool kids by any stretch, but I wasn't bullied or anything like that. I was just, uh, the whole, I was just kind of ambivalent to the entire thing. And when I think about it now, I was like, okay, it's just somewhere I have to go during the day. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. It was just like, well, it's just somewhere I've got to go. And yeah, there was, there was, you know, lots of fun stuff happened. And, but largely lots of very tedious stuff. Did you know what you wanted to be when you were at school? Well, I was good at art, and to be honest, when, it, when I was, yeah, I guess I'd started from senior school, I'd started doing some music things. And so that's the thing, a lot of the time when other kids were maybe, you know, going out and misbehaving of an evening, I was just at home with a little tape-to-tape deck recording things and just, you know, and practising and what have you. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I wanted to be a musician right from the word go, but it was always, especially living in Cheam, like you don't, there aren't musicians there. They're just people who go to work in a bank or a shop or something. So it was, yeah, I wanted to do it, but it never felt like an actual realistic thing. You had, to have, you know, you have dreams of doing it, but you never think this is actually going to happen because you think this happens to, you know, weird people like Prince and Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Morrissey or people that are kind of really unusual. But then, yeah, somehow I've managed to blag my way through it. So was that kind of creative element not encouraged at school? No, not really. We had a great art teacher, Mr. Jeffries. He was brilliant. He was a crazy Welshman who ended up when I'd lived in Tooting. I lived in South, you know, in Tooting for a few years, and he had left the school then and was working at Tooting Broadway Tube Station just as a guard. And it was brilliant. You'd turn up, and he's a real like lunatic, but he just and he, he just thoroughly enjoyed it because he just enjoyed seeing people and saying uh, about you know went up there once and he was saying. Yeah, I saw some bloke come in. He nicked someone's shopping bags. He was running down the escalator, but it turned out he was running up, down the up escalator. So he had his magic crash, and then a load of food coming up, <laughs> up the escalator. He always had a story. And he always remembered everyone as well. He'd like, I think my dad saw him a year ago or so, and he remembered him. Oh, man. Like 30-odd years ago. And he was like, oh, Mr. Burke, hello. <laughs> so how on earth? You must have met him like three times. I but, mean... Uh, yeah, so I was always good at art and I was always encouraged by him he was always really great but outside of that I don't remember doing any music lessons at school or anything like that it was entirely a separate thing for me pursuing you know the the the, you know the arts and whether that be music you know art whatever they're you know as we touched upon at the beginning they're, they're they're quite difficult careers to to forge a you know a a, a living from yeah and so I want to ask you two things. Like, as you was kind of starting to develop as an artist, was you confident and was you driven? I would say I was definitely driven, but I definitely wasn't that confident, especially when I was recording, when I was recording stuff when I was like, you know, 13, 14, 15, and what have you. I remember I would, when I started trying to write lyrics, I was, it's just so. This is so weird. Well, I used, me and a friend at school, when we were bored in a class, we started. I think we started off as like top trumps cards. We invented this whole island called Menzoblia, and and we made these top trumps cards of all the people from Menzoblia. And they, it was all. The, and then I ended up. We ended up inventing this little language, like a written language, which was just basically replacing letters of the alphabet with various symbols. And I was so kind of shy about how rubbish my lyrics might be that when I've got notebooks at home that are full of lyrics just written in Menzoblian. So it was almost like a code that you had to like go through. Because I, I knew in my head, basically, once I'd written them what the lyrics were, but I, did, I was so desperate to not have anyone else read them that I wrote the whole thing in Menzoblian. So that's how non-confident I was. I mean, that's incredible and fucking insane. (laughs) Exactly. It is very, very weird. It's a weird thing to do. Yeah. It's only since I started doing a few podcasts I've started talking about, I will actually have to do so, write about Menzoblia. That's amazing. It's it's so weird. I'm going to go and find those books at some point. it's, It's just a very strange thing. So yeah, pretty much, and I'd sort of, so I, you know, I'd wrote loads and loads of music and what have you, but never played it to anyone. It was just for me. Yeah, because I just thought I don't know. It wasn't until I actually kind of went to college that I started playing it to someone. Mm. And uh, yeah, I had some track I'd 
written a little while before and I was playing, you know, someone had it on, on their Walkman and I was saying, you know, saying, have a listen to this. And uh, he's going, oh, it sounds like Stump, which is uh, kind of a, a compliment. But do you remember the band Stump, a sort of Irish, mm. kind of weird, wonky, jazz, indie band? Mm-hmm. But everything they did was deliberately sort of discordant, mm-hmm. whereas what I recorded wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> so it was a bit like, obviously, I love Stump, and that's nice, but it's not supposed to sound like Stump. Like, all like, it's supposed to sound good. Or it's supposed to sound proper. There you go. Oh, hey. brilliant. Um, what was the first record you remember buying from a record shop? Well, this is it. This is going to make me sound a bit wanky, but uh, it's... I can't remember which was the first one, but it was either, whichever one was released first, it was either Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson mm-hmm. or Start by The Jam or Cars by Gary Newman. I think they were all released relatively close to each other. I reckon Jackson might have got him first. Do you think yeah. it might have been the first one? Yeah. yeah. So it's probably that. I mean, from the little shop at the top of our road. It was one of those shops that I can't even remember what it sold. Like general, it's like a general store, but it had a little... Uh, yeah. carousel of, of seven inch singles in it which a load of shops did then they're yeah. just like here's a load of other stuff some sweets and some I don't know tools or something and here's a carousel with some seven inch singles in it I mean any one of them free records are all incredible right yeah and I, that's why I feel a little bit wanky saying it because they're all really great records you know it should be you know, this like, is generally the know. question where the answer's a bit of a howler and it's like a, exactly you know, like my wife my wife's very proud to announce that her first record was so macho by sonita which is much more in line with what we're supposed to be talking that's about that's the sort of stuff i want <laughs> <laughs> exactly but these are actually quite good records i'm sure i bought some well after that it was probably some shaking stevens i think i got really that was part of what got me into rockabilly was like i was like it almost threw shaking stevens it was, like, it was a bit like elvis and there you go I've I've got a mate uh, called Jim, and his uh, his dad is like one of them kind of old school Elvis obsessives. You know, Elvis calendar still every year. You know, just yeah. just just Elvis is everything. Yeah. And whenever you wanted to kind of just rile him, you'd be like, um, "You had um, you had Green Door," <laughs> and like, <laughs> and if you mentioned Shaky, he oh, really? lose his shit. Like absolutely, was... just like oh, he's, he's just a joke. He'd like he's so angry about shaky, serious <laughs> about shaky. Well, I remember that from like people's. It's usually people's parents who were like big, El, you know, the the parents who were always obsessives. I remember going around to my friends who's yeah, that one the rockabilly guy that bought all the Elvis records. His parents were real big Elvis fans, and uh, I'm going around with there with my parents, and I remember my dad making the the. The you know the eternal faux pas just going, oh yeah, Elvis, yeah, he was great, wasn't he? Terrible about what happened at the end there with all the drugs and stuff. And they're like, oh no, don't say that to Elvis fans. You can't say that to Elvis fans. There were no drugs. There was he didn't go wrong. It was fine. He was fine. You can't. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go there, Jesus. Don't go with the Elvis people. They'll lynch you. And it was a bit like, it was an awkward moment. Like, yeah, sort of, 
it going, right. And then they were able to just pick it back up again. I was like, oh no, this is it. We're going to get thrown out. I mean, just to talk about record shops for a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, as you got older and, you, you know, you, uh, I, I imagine become a bit, a lot more obsessed with, 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 with music, you know, and, and, and starting to kind of carve out a career within it. Um, and as an independent artist, like how important have, have record shops been for you over the years? Well, certainly in the, I'd say more than anything in the, the sort of early and mid nineties when I'd started, you know, we got a set of decks and started DJing. Yeah. That was, you know, I'd be at beggar's banquet in Kingston most of the time, just there in the little listening booth. And uh, yeah, just that kind of, and occasionally doing, you know, the mad thing you do when you'd have, you'd have no, you know, you'd be basically skinned. There was a few years on the doll, but still go to beggar's banquet and buy a record without actually listening to it. Cause it's on the right label or on a, on a label you like. Yeah. And then getting it home and going, Oh, that's actually, that's a bit shit. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing of, yeah, record like, record shops were great. Yeah. And they were, you know, I, but I was, that's the same time. I was never that, I wasn't one of those people that like hang out at a record shop and get to know yeah. the people in there and think, I'd just go there, head down, look at the records, buy me things. I'm, seems like I'm quite a shy man, really. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm interested for this one. Um, for track five, uh, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. So are we are we talking are we talking early to mid nineties there? Yeah, and probably from well, probably from the late eighties really as well. The sort of yeah, I used to go to a few like you know little mini well, let's say warehouse parties because they were usually just in quite small places like you know under the railway arches in Battersea or something like that, just random and often little squat parties and that sort of thing. Because I used to know. Uh, people from Sensor and the Osric Tentacles, and they a few of them lived in a, a squat that we used to go and hang out at in Wimbledon. And uh, so, yeah, so from the late 80s, and then sort of clubbing, as far as clubbing went, so probably when I joined Collapse Lung, with clubbing sort of went out the window a bit because we were just off on tour all the time and weren't, you know, we'd occasionally find ourselves in a club after the gig, mm. but it wasn't so much of a, a thing to do. But, um, yeah, it's that sort of time. But I put that, I've, I said Come Together by Primal Scream, the Terry Farley mix. Right. All respect, of course, all, all respect, of course, to Weatherall. Yeah. But that was just a kind of more of an anthemic thing. Because I used to go, to, I say, I used to go to, you know, house clubs and, and things like that. But I also used to go to lots of indie clubs. There was the time when, uh, was it, there was Gigantic at the Marquee and Looney Tunes at the Dome in Tufnell Park. And they were just as debauched as they yeah. are, probably more so sometimes than some of the sort of house nights. And we're going there on New Year's Eve one, you said Looney Tunes at the Dome. And the, yeah, we were basically sort of just about five to midnight, everyone was handing out silly string and, and snow spray and all that sort of stuff. And the whole thing was a complete mess. We were wandering around a little bit off me tits, as it were, wandering about the place and seeing, I mean, I'm sure, I'm fairly sure there was a couple of people just going at it on in the middle of the dance floor, <laughs> just in all this silly string and snow spray and just filth all over the place. And uh, yeah, it's like it's, those are fun times. But yeah, and I think that Primal Screen definitely straddled those two probably better than most other bands. Because even like Stone Roses and Happy Mondays were very much, you know, an indie band. Whereas, you know, with Scream of Delica, you know, I watched a, a little documentary about it recently. It was very much they were saying to Weather or just, you know, we kind of make it your, you know, you've got our raw materials and just do what you want with it. It's almost like the whole album was a big remix. Yeah, is that the one that was on on Prime? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Yes, it I, is. I, yeah, I yeah. watched that a couple of months ago. It looked like it was filmed a few years ago. Like, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But it, every, I mean, I, 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 I just it must have popped up because I was searching for Weather around the time that he passed, and mm. and you watch that again, and you know, I'm I'm 47, so I kind of, you know, Scream of Delica fell at the right time for me as well. Yeah, and and I think you watch these you know, documentaries on it and you do just realise like how incredible that record is and how it did just transcend all of the genres you've just mentioned, you know, like you could hear come together in any, any club you went to, you could play that yeah. and loaded, you could just get away with it. Yeah, exactly. I remember the first time hearing loaded was one of those moments where you're like, what the hell is this? Mm. This is incredible. I think it was around at Haytham from Sensor's place. We used to go there on a Friday after college and just, sit around all night and what have you and 
She's going, have you heard this? Have you heard this? And he's played it to me. I was like, God almighty, this is incredible. Just, it was one of those tunes that was like, unlike pretty much anything you'd ever heard before. Yeah. And it still sounds, it still sounds so good. Yeah. Yeah. You can still play it. And it was a time, especially in the sort of like the early part of the, of, you know, Acid House and what have you. And because, you know, at the end of the clubs, the end of the night, it'd be mainly house music during the night, but the end of the night, they'd always play something a bit daft, which I still was, you know, was doing all that time. They'd play sort of, you know, Paul McCartney and the Frog Chorus or um, Spread a Little Happiness by Sting at the end of the night sort of thing. And everyone would be sat down and go, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, certainly some a mix of things in there. Well, I'm going to take you home for track six. Uh, okay. Uh, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. From your home county. Now, I know, the, yeah, you said we might have been surprised with this one because I think you thought I was from Harlow. Yeah. But uh, that's because, yeah, I, I was a late starter to Collapse Lung. I joined a bit late. So this is actually from sunny Kingston-on-Thames. And uh, I've chosen um, uh, Is This the Life by Cardiacs. Um, because Cardiacs are definitely another band that, again, that seem to be kind of above and apart from anything else. And obviously, this seems, I think we're maybe we're just showing our age with the fact that there's so many people we're talking about on here that have I know. been dead for ages <laughs> or recently died. It's, uh, but yeah, is this like, I mean, that was their big sort of pop anthem. I think they just decided, right, we're going to write a hit song. And yeah. they did. And it's just a most incredible kind of rock song. But most of their stuff sounded like, as Johnny from Collapse Lung always said, just sounds like fairground music or just sounds like really bonkers, weird, you know time signature changes and just the most complex, weird, sort of psychedelic pop music there is. But, uh, yeah, they were always, and seeing them live was quite something, just absolutely blew me away. And so, you you know, home's Brighton now, yeah? Yes, home is Brighton now, yes. And so, you know, do you, are you excited by the kind of, the, the music scene that's currently happening in Brighton? Well, when you say a music scene that's currently happening in last Brighton. Last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, last year. Uh, I, think, you know, I mean, the Brighton's always always got lots of good stuff going on. That's the thing. That's part of the reason I moved down here. Was I was in London and thought, um, it was a girl I was seeing at the time. I was moving out to Madrid to do a teaching English as a foreign language thing. And I suddenly thought, oh, I could just pop down to Brighton, couldn't I, for a bit? Just I thought I'd go down there for the summer and then come back to London in the autumn and then was down here for about a week and a half and thought, why would I go back? Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's got, you know, most of the people that will play in London, apart from the, the really, really big venues will play. And I don't tend to see bands that play in really, really big, big venues anyway. Mm. You know, they'll play down in Brighton and you can walk there and walk back. So it's all, everything's quite enclosed. It's only, a, you know, it's officially a city, but it's kind of a big town. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's always, yeah, always lots going on. Well, it was anyway last year. Yeah. 2019 edition, but I'm still a bit <laughs> sure it will be again. I mean, yeah, it depends what venues are going to be able to survive and reopen. I mean, you know, there's a venue that I was going to have my 50th birthday party in that's still got our deposit, but we've not heard a single peep out of them since since March. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But hopefully, you know, when, when we're all allowed to do things again. The sad thing, of course, is that gigs, especially the sort of gigs that I tend to play, are going to be the last thing that really open because the last thing they're going to want to open is are small rooms with no ventilation <laughs> packed with a hundred or so sweaty people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Last track play DJ. Now the song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Well, this one, this one, I'm being totally selfish, is this has become a bit of a favourite of my isolation parties. Every Tuesday night, mixcloud.com slash gentleman rhymer. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was my birthday this year and I couldn't do any, yeah, I couldn't have my party. I decided to just sort of DJ on Facebook originally. Um, just, yeah, do a night of DJing and have a little party from home. And it went down really well. So I did a few more. Then Facebook banned me. And uh, I actually got kicked off of Facebook completely for a bit, which was a bit scary. Really? Yeah, they just shut down my account for a while because mainly because I was, you know, I didn't realise, you know, if if you're playing other people's music Mm. on there, then they are not happy about it. So I moved it over to Mixcloud. So it's on Mixcloud every week now. I'm doing the 31st one this this, uh, coming week. Um, But yeah, this track is called, it's called Life's a Blag and it's by my old band Skank Thing, my first band really. 
And you can hear, see a version of this on YouTube when we actually went and played it on The Word, which, is, uh, which was quite an interesting little event that happened slightly unexpectedly. We kind of had some management for a bit and then we sort of had a big row with him and split, you know, split with him in about 91 or something or 92. And then I suddenly got a phone call while I was at Maidstone Art College uh, from a bandmate saying, oh, it turns out this bloke's been hoying our tape around and, and we're going on the word next week. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's bullshit. And then they said, he said, oh, they're bringing someone along uh, to check, you know, check out the rehearsal tomorrow. And then they were supposed to be doing it. I thought, well, that's not going to happen. And then, you know, we were rehearsing. This guy turns up and said, all right, we played a version of it. Um, which is used, uses the main, the whole thing was based around a sample from a, a track called um, Soul Magic by YBU, which is an old sort of slow, sort of slightly housey, but way, you know, really slowed down thing. And the original one, we had our D, we had a DJ in the band and he was playing it on a set of decks, but he had a really old set of decks that had a very wide sort of pitch arm. So you could get, you could pitch it right up. So, but then he'd left and we had another DJ that just had some 1210s and the pitch arm wouldn't go that that far. <laughs> we were trying to play and we hadn't played it for ages. We were trying to play it and it just sounded awful. And the guy just went, just sort it out for next week and we'll see you there. I was like, oh. And I remember, yeah, I was not really doing much rehearsing after that. We were just all just going to the toilet, I think, a lot of the time. <laughs> was loads of, I just need to go for a piss. So, and yeah, so we ended up doing it on The Word, which was a, it was on the thing they did when they had like a section of uh, unsigned bands so you'd they'd have one you know unsigned band play and they played it or showed it on the thursday so it wasn't on the live edition but they had one thing called the word access all areas but anyway this is a roundabout way of saying my choice is life is a blag by a skank thing but particularly the dj valderama mix which has become a real favorite of the isolation parties wonderful wonderful well we put together a, a little spotify playlist to accompany the the, the podcast so um We'll try and ensure that most of them get on there. Yeah, uh, I don't think that one will be on there because I don't think he's even. <laughs> I don't think he's even available anywhere. I'll drop but, the link to the YouTube uh, video uh, on the bio for this oh, episode. Yeah. So people... And also, you'll get a chance to see me with long hair in when I was twenty-two years old. <laughs> um, as we get um, to, to the end of twenty twenty, um, and we're looking at twenty twenty one being something uh, a lot more freer and and you know uh, an opportunity to connect again with with lots of people um yes. what are you looking forward to uh, personally and what's going to be happening professionally well obviously i'm looking forward to getting out and gigging again i'm kind of imagining that it'll be the festivals will be the first things because they're you know outdoors uh so definitely yeah playing festivals again will and just going to festivals again will be lovely that will be very nice because it was quite, you know, this thing with this summer that I was probably getting to the point when I was at the point when I was never, I would never stay at a festival, no matter where it was. I would uh, get a hotel nearby or something like that. I'll just come home because I was a bit playing. If you play like sort of 12 festivals a year or 15 festivals a year, you get to the point where people are like, oh, yeah, it'd be great. Are you staying over the whole weekend? I'm like, God, no. <laughs> are you crazy? This is horrible. But, you know, actually going and playing the shows. Are great and particularly playing shows at festivals is great because the pressure is very much off because you're you just turn up people will go and see you if they want and generally speaking they're just there to have a good time so hopefully i'm able to provide that and i always go down really well at festivals because i mean a lot of the time if you get you know, festivals you can get up on stage and just fart and people will go Yay! <laughs> so yeah, so it's uh those that will do the job i'll definitely i guess yeah, I'll, I'll be making another album soon because I did an album during lockdown, you know, quite early on, I just put an album together called A Thoroughly Modern Existential Crisis, which actually is going to be on Tim Burgess's listening, Twitter listening party on Monday, the 30th of November. This will probably go out after that. But, hmm. Oh, but, wonderful. Um, yeah, so that's on, yeah, nine o'clock on Monday, the 30th of November, is uh, yeah, Tim Burgess doing a listening party for A Thoroughly Modern Existential Crisis, my lockdown album. Lovely stuff. So that's quite exciting. Mr. B's been... An absolute pleasure. Um, Likewise. Chatting records with you. And thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and yeah, I guess, we, can we start saying have a nice Christmas? I think we can. I think people are putting their decorations up early, aren't they, this they year? Are. Because everyone wants to feel a bit festive. So, yes, let's yeah. go for that. All right. We'll have a lovely Christmas. Thanks loads, mate. And yourself. Cheers, pleasure. mate. Cheers. There you go. Wonderful. What a lovely chat. What a lovely man. 
and we carried on having a, a good old natter once we pressed stop as well. And, uh, and that's the sign of a good chat. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks hugely to Mr. B for giving up his time and, and having a pod natter with me. Um, I'll be back next time. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to support the podcast, you can on the Patreon. Um, if this is your first time listening, go and have a, a look in the archive, subscribe, and then, you know, have a rummage around in 200 plus episodes. Um, and yeah, if you see us on the socials, give us a like, love, share, retweet, and uh, and yeah, just generally be excellent to each other. And I'll I'll see you next time. Bye bye. I've got an announcement. Save our souls clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a